Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know that everybody is anxiously awaiting and excited for the next episode of Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection is somewhere on the internet or on a tablet or maybe in a POS system for a restaurant. Today, we're going to talk about restaurant data and marketing. And it sounds kind of dry and unexciting, but I'll tell you, I get a lot, a lot, a lot of pitches in my inbox for companies who are going to help restaurants acquire and use their data for more profits, for better marketing, for better employee management, staffing, service, hospitality. And it's not quite apparent how data translates into a better hospitality experience, especially in today's world where a significant portion of people are enjoying restaurants, not on premise in a restaurant, but from their couch or their home or their own dining room. So I thought it would be a great moment to take a look at what exactly are we talking about when we talk about restaurant data and owning your customer data and the customer journey and all the points and drip marketing and how that turns into something that's helpful. Restaurant owners, chefs, restaurant people, employees, they usually spend a lot of their time trying to make your experience better making pizza, making drinks, choosing a playlist, making sure the dining room looks great or that your food is packaged well and arrives hot and delicious. Do they have time to figure out what their data is? Do they have time to slog through all the number of data companies and potential options and figure out what they are, which one is the best, and once they get their hands on that data, what they can use it for? My guess is that a lot of people maybe don't know, especially if you're a single operator or an operator that has only maybe one or two businesses and you don't have the scale to have someone who's the chief marketing officer or someone who is your chief data technology AI person. So this episode, we're going to take a look at what exactly is customer data and how does it help restaurants? And if you're a restaurant who needs help, how do you figure that out? So to walk us through that story today Uh, We have two people. One is Abhinav Kapoor, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Biki. Thank you for joining us. And with him, we have a restaurant owner and user of Biki, Alessandro Biggi, who is the co-founder of Avocado Ria. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Pleasure to be here. So Abhinav, Tell us how you started Biki. And first let's just get the let's just get the question out of the way. Biki is just a fun name and a fun URL <laughs> that happened to be living in a in a cache of family-owned URLs. It's worth noting that his his other half, significant half um, partner is Deepti Sharma, who is a longtime guest and friend of TechBytes. So Biki, right. I, I took the legacy way into the show. So yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Biki, Biki's just Biki's just a fun name. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have no, any n- no other significance. I was I was looking to start a company, uh, 
And my father-in-law was like, well, here are a bunch of uh, URLs that I have. What, what works for you? And uh, that was it. That's the story of how I picked it. So perfect. So Biki, <laughs> just so people can follow along at home, is B-I-K-K-Y dot com. That's right. Okay. That's right. So tell us how you started Biki way back in 2016. You're in finance and you, you are attracted by the startup trend and going to do something different and new. And you're looking around at different startups and I, I guess you didn't find anything. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't find anything, you know, for me, the mission, the why has always been kind of like the most important thing. And whenever I interviewed, nothing really resonated with me. And so, you know, I kind of made the decision that if I was going to make the jump, it would have to be something that I cared very deeply about and very passionately about. And, you know, around that time, you know, my office being in finance was in Midtown and my in-laws on a restaurant, which has also been in Midtown for 20 years. And, you know, I used to walk by and pick up lunch. And I just remember, you know, over the years seeing my mother-in-law who doesn't have a background in hospitality, you know, came to this country in the late seventies, didn't know the language, didn't know the culture, had various odd jobs, right? She was a gas station attendant, bank teller, hotel desk clerk, uh, cashier. And, you know, over a 20 year period, she started and founded her own restaurant to really elevate the food that she grew up eating. Right. I think when most people think of Indian food, they think of something that's relatively low budget, but delicious, like chicken tikka masala, chana sag, you know, all the, all the staples of Indian American food. And she really wanted to give Indian food this white tablecloth treatment. And over the years, I used to just see her, uh, you know, just be a marvel in the dining room, right? She would know her guests' names, their faces, what they eat, what they drink. She was always touching tables. And at this time around 2016 is when her delivery business really started to take off. So one day I just went in to pick up lunch and I, I would just see her in the back of the restaurant increasingly staring at delivery tablets instead of up front talking to her guests. And one day I went in the back and I was like, mom, what are you doing? Like you're ignoring everything that made this business successful, which is being out in the front of the house. And I'll never forget it. She had a pen in one hand and notebook in the other. And she's like, I'm looking at the delivery tablet and I'm writing down the customer's phone number so I can call them and see how their meal went. I was like, first of all, that's pretty baller. Like nobody does that. Second of all, <laughs> why are you doing this? And she's like, well, you know, I have no connection with these guests. I have no idea if they had a good experience. I have no way of knowing if there's if what we did was right or wrong, if they would even come back. And this is the only way I can connect with a guest who's eating my food in the comfort of their own home. Uh, you know, and that was sort of the light bulb moment for me for Bicky, where this idea that the restaurant world is moving to e-commerce, right? Because all the growth in her business was happening on the delivery side. And so if the restaurant world is moving to e-commerce, operators like my mother-in-law are going to increasingly be put in this position where the guest experience is fragmenting and they will effectively lose control of that guest relationship. They won't have a way to maintain that hospitality that has been such a part and parcel of the restaurant industry, you know, since its inception, really. Um, and so that was the initial idea behind Vicky was just, you know, if, if this mega trend of restaurants moving to e-commerce is happening, right, how can we help operators maintain that relationship with their guests while, you know, the guest experience itself is fragmenting? So this is back in 2016. And I will yep. note that we did our first episode on if delivery 
and third-party apps are good for restaurants back in September of 2015. Mm -hmm. And what listeners may not be aware of is each time a restaurant decides to use a third-party delivery app or service, that service comes in and brings a tablet and, you know, a tablet being like an iPad or something like that, and they put it into the kitchen or where the orders come in. So a restaurant has their own internal ordering system, the POS system, mm-hmm. where they're going to use it for taking orders for the guests that are in the dining room and also if anyone happens to call them directly or use their website directly. And then each, every single delivery service, third-party app, comes in with their own tablet. So as these things were all starting and there was competition and it's an opportunity for increased revenue, literally have restaurants that have two, three, four, five, six different points of entry for orders. The other thing that customers don't know is that when a customer orders through a third-party app, the order comes into the restaurant, but to the point of um, mom looking for the phone number of the guest, oftentimes that information is not necessarily there because the third-party app does not want the restaurant to actually know who the customer is. The third-party app, you know, DoorDash, Seamless, Grubhub, pick one. They just want the restaurant to think and to know, oh, you get business from Grubhub. That's all you need to know. But Grubhub is actually the person, the company that has the relationship with you, the customer. So there's a lot of complex things happening at this point in time. And because it's new and because it's new opportunity and it's new money, both ends of the coin are really kind of jumping in on it. Restaurants love it sort of initially because it is potentially increased business. And consumers love it because it's so easy. You plug your info in, you plug your credit card in, you do it off your phone, one, two, three, super, super convenient. And they're not necessarily thinking about where their information is going and ultimately how much of their information lands with the actual person making your meal. So this is, it's an interesting moment that you got to see it sort of happening in real time in front of you with all the different components um, and that your mother-in-law, you know, she's kind of the perfect test case. She's not necessarily from hospitality background, but she's had a successful restaurant for, you know, two decades now. She is not a tech person and she's not, you know, cutting edge like, oh, let's make like, let's build the tech stack and have an automated, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Have an automated experience. So yeah. it's kind of it's kind of the perfect a perfect storm of of so many different things and also really the the early stages of third-party delivery apps really starting to rise in consumer usage and restaurants really starting to feel a lot of different pain points ranging yeah. from economics to operations. So yeah. what was the first thing that what was the first thing that you did when you started to build Bicky? I mean, the first thing was figuring out if this was, you know, as it is with any startup, just figuring out if this is actually like a real problem and something worth solving. Um, I think you kind of, you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about um, the problems or, or, you know, potential, potential pitfalls of third-party delivery. Um, in the very beginning, honestly, though, when we started, 
not many restaurant operators I spoke with actually really cared. Um, they all kind of, and I think New York has been a delivery market for so long relative to the rest yes. of the country. So, so the perception here of third-party delivery in the city where we are in it's New York very is, different. is very different from, yeah. you know, we have customers in Georgia and North Carolina and they love DoorDash, right? Well, Just to your, to your point in, in New York city, very different, very dense. Right. We we've lived on delivery forever. You know, now we have the trend of this ultra fast grocery delivery where you can get right. groceries delivered to you in like 10 or 15 minutes. And, you know, in other parts of the country, that's a phenomenon. And of course you have multiple new companies in the category competing, competing for, you know, buy-in and, and market share in New York City because New York City is the place to to prove your case. And my initial question was, being a longtime New Yorker, I already have that. It's my bodega. If you right. call them, you uh, somebody will walk out, you know, my bodega is like three blocks away. Someone will walk out of the bodega, you know, like a guy in an apron, come to the apartment and bring like whatever I need, milk, yep. olive oil, laundry detergent, you know, ice cream, potato chips, uh, you know, pack of Band-Aids, like whatever it is. So you're absolutely right. New York City is an interesting case because so much of this has been just a part of our existence. But I do think the, the piece of the third-party apps being the middleman and the barrier and the translator and the gatekeeper is the, the element that's new. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, what I would say is that's that's definitely where our idea started. And when we were testing it in the beginning, most restaurants were like, I kind of get it, but like, what am I really going to do with data? How effective am I going to be? And, you know, at the end of the day, 80% of my business, 90% of my business is still in store. Like third party delivery, the fees suck, but it's such a small part of my business. Like, I don't really know if I if I necessarily need a way to wean customers off of third-party delivery, right? This is, you know, 2016, 2016, 2016 2017. Um, and so for us, you know, what honestly what really started to click for us, and I would even say this is true of my mother-in-law, is I started looking outside of delivery and started thinking more holistically of like, do restaurants, like asking simpler questions, like do restaurants even have customer data today that they're not using, right? Because the whole idea of the third-party delivery platforms is, these are these are you know very well funded businesses that are optimizing every tap on the phone right i like to say they optimize for click to mouth they optimize every tap on the phone they have very well thought out and very well built customer acquisition funnels they have great ways of driving retention they're super savvy data driven marketing teams powered by data yeah and so what was your what was your conclusion do restaurants have data? Do they care about data? Do they understand what it is or what? So my, my mother-in-law is a great example of that, right? Like she had, she had, you know, 15 years worth of open table data sitting in her open table dashboard that she wasn't doing anything with <laughs> customers, his customers, email addresses, right. And a, and a, and a written and, and visit and a history of their, of what, of when their first visit was, when their most recent visit was. Um, and so again, like we started broadening our scope beyond just looking at delivery and started thinking about, What's in the point of sale? What's in the reservation system? What's in the loyalty platform? What's in the, their own online ordering system? And really realizing that restaurants already have a ton of customer data to try and balance the scales with these third-party platforms, but they just weren't doing anything with it. And so for us, it didn't really start to click for us until we were like, you know, and again, this is pre-pandemic where we were like, cool, 
it's not just about your delivery data. It's about leverage, trying to leverage all of your data that is unique to you, that is your unique asset that the third-party delivery platforms can't touch and figuring out how to help you use that data to, again, scale hospitality the way my mother-in-law was trying to. It's an interesting um, counterpoint, I think, in that, you know, your mother-in-law is a, a great a great example. She knew she needed the phone number of her customer because she wanted right. to call them and make sure everything was okay. So she knew she needed that data point, and she probably had a, that data point somewhere in open table, but didn't realize it. And right. so many times um, in life, you know, we have a sense of what we need while we're walking around in real life, engaging and interacting with people. And then we have another perception of what we're doing when we're in a digital life or on our phone or on our computer or what digital information means versus what in real life information means. And oftentimes there's just a big disconnect between those two things. And I I think it's an interesting point in that you know, very famously, Danny Meyer, who is Union Square Hospitality Group and, and you know, sort of the king of hospitality and, and how can hospitality and customer service, you know, be improved and be improved and be improved. And when he opened 11 Madison Park, which is a very fancy, high-end, world-renowned restaurant, you know, they were legendary in terms of their customer service because they had actual people who took the reservations and kept track and kept notes and kept files and would, you know, do some searching and look for details and, you know, try and figure out, is it the customer's birthday? What's their favorite thing? They're allergic to this. They love this table and take all these points of data to make a better experience. And they were doing that in a very human way, you know, Mm -hmm. people looking for information and then using that to give people an actual in real life experience. And, Thing that's interesting about data and information now and what a company like Bicky is doing is it's almost the ability to level the playing field between any restaurant and something that previously only very, very high-end restaurants with a lot of resources who were really paying attention to customer service because that was a critical piece of the experience. Fine dining has been doing this for a long time, but they've just mm-hmm. been doing it with people. Um, so to point on, on the one hand, I think restaurants do know what customer data is and how important it can be. I think they just don't necessarily think about it in terms of being something that they're going to get from a dashboard on their computer. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think to a certain extent, uh, we, we try to actually not give our customers a reason to look at the dashboard. <laughs> By that, what I mean is, you know, and when I was building, you know, when we were building the initial version of the product, we would hear this where it's like, I, you know, I've never seen my data this way before. Wow. You can track a customer across an in-store credit card swipe and then an online order and still say it's the same customer and drill down into what they're ordering. I've never seen that before. That's super cool. But now what I do with, what do I do with this data? And for the longest time, our approach has been, you know, I made this mistake. I I came from finance where it was my job to tell stories with numbers, to build charts and create charts and then write a nice little paragraph on what the chart means and why it matters. And, uh, you know, I I selfishly thought that uh, I could do the same thing for restaurant operators, for restaurant operators with, you know, one to two to three to five locations. 
And it's just, you know, they're not built that way, nor should they be built that way. They should be focused on executing great service, building a great experience in their stores. They're not data analysts who have time to sit around and look at dashboards. And so from that insight, we were like, okay, well, you know, unless we're doing technology in the store that you need to react to, which which we're not, um, we should be automating how you use this data. And so like, you know, when a customer, very tactical example, uh, we've we built these marketing automation campaigns that automatically get triggered whenever a customer satisfies certain behavior. So when someone switches from in-store to delivery, you know, we recommend triggering an email that says, hey, thanks so much for enjoying us in the comfort of your own home. It's not about a discount. It's not about, you know, trying to trying to cheapen the relationship. It's just recognizing them based on their behavior. When someone switches from delivery to in-store, it's like, trigger an email that says, oh my God, thank you so much for coming and having our full experience within our four walls. Um, and so that's the approach we've taken, you know, ever since that initial insight of, you know, I've never seen my data this way before. What do I do with it? It's about proactively and engaging guests based on your brand and just recognizing their behavior and using that again, as a way to scale hospitality beyond your four walls so that you are giving relevant messages to your guests and building real relationships with them. Um, but automation has definitely been, you know, the key in, in figuring out how to help restaurants get the most from their, from the data we're pulling in. So 2016, you build, you start the company, you have actual clients, you refine. Did you have a breakthrough moment or was the breakthrough moment the pandemic in 2020 when restaurants became 100% delivery? Oh, yeah. I, I think that was, you know, I, I tell my family if there was any silver lining at all to this pandemic is that it was at least good for our business. Um, not to be kind of crude about it, but you know, it's just, we were fortunate enough to be in a place where again, like you said, Jen, the business went a hundred percent digital overnight. And so that dynamic I talked about earlier of 80% in-store, 20% delivery, mostly third party because of shelter in place, the business went a hundred percent digital. And 80 to 90% of that business is controlled by the third-party platforms. And so you're in this spot where, you know, most restaurants are like, I literally have no idea who my guest is. I have no idea who I'm serving. I have no idea who they are, if they're new, if they're repeat, if they'll come back. Even basic stuff like, I don't even have an email list. How am I going to contact people and let them know that I'm actually open for a curbside pickup and delivery? Um, and then when I send that email, how do I know if it's actually effective in bringing people or getting people to order from me? Um, and then how do I focus on the people that are ordering from me and get them to order from me again during this pandemic and not to do it on a third party platform, but do it from my, from my own online ordering platform. Um, so these are all the questions that, that, you know, because of the pandemic became front and center for restaurant operators. And like I said, for us, we were because we had been talking about data and building integrations across, you know, point of sale reservations and online ordering, we were in a position with our, with our existing customers to say, Hey, you know, like we've been pulling in all of your in-store data for two years now. Why don't we, we know who your best customers are. Why don't we let them know that you're actually open and get them to try to place an order from you directly instead of, uh, instead of from a third party platform and at least help you through this difficult time. Um, 
so I'd say, yeah, the pandemic, you know, I think it, it accelerated everything. I'm sure, uh, you know, Ali from Abukadaria would, would say this too, but the pandemic accelerated everything, I feel like, by by five to seven years. So. It, it's worth noting that it's it's a positive thing that some businesses had a boon while others maybe did not because then we need to just reshift things. It would have been completely catastrophic if everything just went down and nothing went up. I mean, high tide raises all ships. So to have pockets of places where things were doing okay and, and your business is to help other businesses. I mean, I think that's a great thing. We we spoke, we we mostly speak with CEOs and founders in the food tech space here on Tech Bytes. And in 2020 and through 2021, most of the founders that I've spoken with have had a similar experience in that they initially built their company to be outside of just the standard operating procedure. You know, food companies, delivery companies, tech companies, internet companies, everyone is built to sort of, you know, be a disruptor, be outside the mainstream system because they wanted to do something different and provide a different service. So when the mainframe breaks down, everything that's outside of that kind of is doing okay. And many, many of the founders that we've spoken with over the past two years had accelerated growth and it was on their roadmap, on their game plan, what they thought was going to happen and unfold. It's just in some instances, literally companies were doing, you know, what they would have predicted would have been 18 months growth in like three months or something like that. So it's really kind of fascinating. We're going to take a quick break and find out who is sponsoring this episode. Did you know Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you. And if you're a listener and not a member, get yourself to heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. We also are supported by grants for the arts and other programs and also by companies who underwrite us like this one. Stay with us. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that technology is data, data points, data points in marketing for restaurants. I mean, it sounds so cold and by the numbers, but 
it really is actually just an automation and a digital version of really good old-fashioned hospitality, you know, like when everybody knows your name and what your order is and, and what you like. It's kind of that idea. We are talking with Abhinav Kapoor, who is the CEO and founder of Biki. Biki is a restaurant data and marketing platform service. You can find them at Biki.com. That's B-I-K-K-Y.com. Joining us also is a user of Biki, Alessandro Biji of Avocadoria. You can find them at, I'm going to spell this out, avocado, A-V-O-C-A-D-O-R-I-A.com. It is an avocado restaurant, which makes sense. So we are now into 2021, 2022. Biki has proved its point of how important it is in this data-driven world to understand who your customers are, where they are, what they want, and how you can communicate with them. Alessandro, you're actually a restaurant owner and you have small three you have a small restaurant group of three outlets in New York City. How did you find Bicky? And how did you decide that it was something that you needed for your restaurant group? Yeah, so as you guys previously mentioned, you know, the pandemic has been a time in which we actually could uh, you know take our mind out from the day by day business and you know search for solutions that could help us uh, accelerate the recovery you know of the business and so during that process uh, i did a lot of um, uh, interviews and one to ones with the you know tech companies and solutions um that would help uh, uh, restaurants you know go more digital and uh, and learn how to better face the current situation and uh, through a recommendation from uh, uh, one of the partners that we actually work with, uh, our um, you know online ordering service, uh, we found out about Biki, and so then I connected with them and learned more about uh, you know their their mission and realized that it was in line with what we were searching for. So we started working together. So, tell us in a really practical kind of way, how did you start working with them, and and what happens? You have all these different tablets for your restaurant. You do delivery, you do in-house. How does it actually work? Because if you're not tech savvy, if you don't have an IT department, and if you've never used a service like this, it's kind of hard to imagine what happens when you open the box. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, there's right now like a tool for pretty much everything. Um, It's very fragmented, (laughs) the overall scenario. Uh, for tech tools for restaurants. I think uh, the cool thing of Biki is uh, what Abina said before, which is uh, about implementing certain automations that sort of uh, happens, uh, you know, on behalf <laughs> of you. And so in our case specifically, uh, what we were searching for was something that would uh, send out uh, drip email campaigns to our, uh, our customers um, in, in particular situations. So after they trigger certain actions, um, and basically, you know, so, so, so that we could have a direct line of communication and an ongoing line of communication with our guests, uh, so that they could, uh, you know, always like think about us and, and, and come back and of course order directly from our own website versus, uh, third party platforms. So, um, basically the, the integration is fairly simple in the sense that, uh, uh, Biki integrates with the uh, with the POS as well as with the ordering uh, system, uh, online ordering system that we have, and then they extrapolate those customers' data once 
um, you know, a guest places an order and that's how, you know, sort of the uh, automation starts. What is a drip campaign for people listening at home who may not know? Sure. The campaign is basically a sequence of emails uh, that are sent to a specific segment of guests that uh, make certain uh, actions, you know, with, with regards to your business. So uh, it could be, you know, when someone places an order or it can be when someone doesn't place an order for a long time, or it can be when someone, uh, you know, orders uh, for the first time uh, on our on your website after they've been ordering on, uh, on the third-party platforms for some time, and so on and so forth. So you can find certain, um, you know, moments uh, that can provide an opportunity to get started with this uh, sequence uh, of emails that then, you know, have the goal of uh, uh, increasing loyalty, retention, and uh, offering even a better experience to guests. Because at the end of the day, the more personalized, you know, the communication is, the better the result. So you said that, when the pandemic happened and everything closed and people had to shelter in place, that gave you time because on the day-to-day mm-hmm. prior, you were probably just, you know, working 17 hours with a live open <laughs> restaurant. That gave you the time to start to research things, look at things and look at what you needed. Did you know initially that what you needed was data and marketing? Or were you just looking for something to improve your business or? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a great question. So we, you know, I, I think I come from, I have a background in tech. So, so I, you have an I've advantage aware. in some respects. Well, in this, in this, in this part, yes, I have a lot of disadvantages on the hospitality side, on, on the restaurant <laughs> side, which, you know, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to learn. <laughs> which, which one and, is harder and, to uh, learn? Is it harder to learn data and tech or is it harder to learn hospitality? It's a good question. 100% hospitality. Hospitality is much harder, <laughs> much harder. Data and tech, once you figure out, you know, you know, you have a little bit of experience, you learn about it and then it's, it's no, it, then, it's going to be And then you the just same. get Vicky and they do it for you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But then, you know, with the with the restaurant hospitality, every day is completely different. So there's no there's no there's not really a rule that <laughs> enables you to learn and and be ready for for anything that can happen. Even though, of course, you can learn how to minimize uh, mistakes and maximize the good uh, the good outcomes. So that's sort of where I'm where I'm working on right now. <laughs> so you come from tech. So on the marketing and data side, you ha- you have a distinct yeah. advantage. Did you know you needed data and marketing, or were you just looking for something to improve the bottom line of your businesses? No, 100%. I knew it and I was actually very stressed out about the fact that uh, uh, I wasn't able to get those data from, from our POS. Uh, I wasn't able to get those type of automations uh, before. Um, and and I think up to this day, I think there's still so much that can be done. Uh, I think Biki is definitely on the right on the right path. Um, but if you compare, you know, a restaurant business, uh, which right now, has basically around 40, uh, especially for a fast casual business like ours, maybe like 40, 50% of the business is uh, through e-commerce. Uh, you know, being e-commerce being both our first party website and third party platforms. Uh, still like the level of, uh, of, uh, uh, 
of services uh, that are out there are very, very limited <laughs> compared to, you know, what we're used to when it comes to like, you know, any, uh, a lot of like the fashion e-commerce or like, I mean, I, I won't even mention Amazon because of course they are best in class in this, but um, there's a lot of things that happen, you know, in our day by day uh, e-commerce interactions uh, that with restaurants are just getting started. And I hope, you know, and I'm sure actually that we're going in that direction and I can't wait, you know, sort of to go more into into that because I think it's going to provide a much better outcome both for restaurant uh, owners and for the customers themselves. So what was the biggest problem, the biggest pain point so far that working with a working with Bicky has solved for you? What's the biggest relief? Yeah, uh, it's really about having this direct relationship with guests and getting to know um getting a better understanding of their behavior and uh, being able to uh automate this type of interaction. So um, as I mentioned, like the sort of the key feature that we're currently using the most is really about uh, defining, you know, certain clusters of of guests based on their of their behaviors and then uh, uh, having a targeted uh, communication uh, with them uh, through through Biki. Um, that's sort of the main, I see, I think the main uh, solution that we're using right now. And has there been something that came as a surprise to you? Was there something that they said, oh, and you can do this? And you thought, oh my gosh, I never <laughs> ever thought about that. Or what's what's been the biggest surprise? I think, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's a lot about the ability of really integrating and mapping the overall uh, customer journey through the different platforms. I think uh, it's great that... Um, uh, we're finally able to um, associate a specific uh, guest with their purchases, both on third party and on first party, which is a sort of a big change because, uh, uh, you know, probably a lot of restaurants have customers that, uh, and again, I'm talking mostly about like fast casual because that's what, what, what I'm sort of, you know, more, <laughs> what I have more experience. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that a lot of, uh, a lot of restaurants have um, guests that come to the store you know, every now and then, and then they order online the other times. But then, you know, up until today, you didn't know if the guest was actually just, you know, not ordering anymore or who was ordering actually from the third party platforms. Uh, through Biki, you were able to reconcile those data and, uh, and being able to really map their uh, ordering frequency and, uh, and habits. Well, the startup world is notoriously untrackable to a certain extent. You sort of never know what's going to happen and it, and it fluctuates. The restaurant industry is notoriously challenging in terms of the fluctua fluctuations in business and customer habits. And that's never been more so than the past two years between changes in, in the way we conduct life in public and in private, the redistribution of you know, where people are living and working in terms of city centers and outside and inside the city and back home, um, in terms of the 100% delivery, you know, the percentage of delivery that people maybe weren't using before now use, it's become a part of life. There are so many variables. You know, I'll ask both of you the same question. Abhinav, how do you plan as a CEO, how do you map and track and plan for growth in your business when your business is an industry that's so volatile right now? Uh, that is, that's a phenomenal question. Um, the thing that has 
always, I think, served us well. As, like one of our key values internally at the company is partners, not vendors. Um, and the reason I say that is I remember when I was starting the business, looking at my mother-in-law's email inbox and all the other emails she would get from restaurant tech people. And it was always, you know, spammy cold emails, or she'd be talking to somebody and they're like aggressively trying to get her to sign. And then if she did sign a contract to onboard a new tech vendor, they would she would never hear from them again, basically, you know, they'd be like, Oh, email customer support. Um, and for me, like I wanted to build a business that was a restaurant tech business, especially that was in direct contrast to what I had seen from other restaurant tech companies out there at the time. Uh, and so the best way that we can plan for growth is to be a partner to all of our restaurant customers. Uh, by that, what I mean is, actively understanding how other potentially more experienced brands or better resource brands like Domino's, like Chipotle, like Starbucks, like Taco Bell, like all these bigger brands or, you know, Sweetgreen is, 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 is a hot one that we've talked about in our pre-call. Understanding how they are leveraging the data and figuring out a way to democratize the ability for any restaurant to leverage the data in a similar way in an easy way, in a proactive way, in a way that helps them get the full value, not just from their data, but again, to make an impact in their overall business. Um, in terms of how that ties into, that's much more from a product standpoint, in terms of how we plan, right? And, and, and how we think about where the future is heading. You know, from a growth standpoint, uh, again, I think the, the biggest bastion of support that we've had as a young company has been this approach of partners, not vendors, because our partners uh, proactively recommend us to, when they feel like what we do makes a difference to them, they proactively recommend us to other restaurant operators that they, that they know or that they speak with. You know, I think the restaurant industry, we know how competitive it is, but I saw this firsthand during the pandemic. It's incredibly collaborative too. At the end of the day, you are competing for it's a zero-sum game in that a person can only eat one meal at, at, for lunch, one meal for breakfast, one meal for dinner. That, that's not true. <laughs> Fair I, enough. I know, I know people in the restaurant world, particularly if you're on the media side or traveling or <laughs> um, you're a writer. I actually know people and have been a party to when you're, especially if you're traveling, yeah. they have that, they have that breakfast, two lunch stack, snack, yeah. <laughs> two dinner stack, drinks after pre. So that's mostly true, but Fair it's enough. not a hundred percent true. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I mean, I think, you know, and that's, I mean, that's the amazing thing too, is like my mother-in-law, you know, when she would always be competing with the Thai restaurant down the block for who, where, you know, where's a guest going to eat when they walk down 51st street in Manhattan. Um, you know, they're either going to sit in her restaurant, or they're going to sit in somebody else's restaurant down the block. But that never stopped her and the owner of that Thai restaurant and the owner of the bar on the corner and the owner of the fried chicken place around the corner from actively collaborating on how they're going to bring more diners to the block, period. Because like you said, Jen, you know, a rising tide can lift all boats. Um, well, community so we is definitely that, yeah, a cornerstone yeah. of the Russian yeah. world and hospitality. So we lean into that collaboration. We lean into that community as, as a way to uh, bolster our growth because at the end of the day, like we're nothing unless the restaurants that we serve are succeeding. 
Um, and so again, like our partners, not vendors philosophy, I think from a product standpoint, from a growth standpoint is what we lean into um, to, to, again, ensure our success moving forward. And now same question to you, just with a slightly different focus, restaurant industry, you know, fast casual business, it's always volatile, you know, always, you know, something that changes moment to moment, not just externally in terms of consumers and customers and trends, but also internally in terms of, you know, delivery staff, you know, infrastructure issues that can happen. Um, how do you plan right now in this just extremely chaotic time? How do you, how do you plan going forward for your business? Yeah, that's, um, that's a great question. I think, uh, you know, we, we have redefined a bit our priorities in the last, uh, in the last few months. And I think, uh, you know, um, we came up with a very clear sort of like goal. Uh, for us, uh, the initial goal is to become the employer of choice. So I think uh, our initial focus right now is really on uh, looking at ourselves internally and see how we can, uh, you know, become a great place to work. How uh, can we attract uh, great people that then will attract other great people to work so that these great people uh, can work, you know, collaboratively uh, and uh, attract more guests because ultimately they are the one that, you know, are going to make the difference uh, um, between uh, us and uh, and uh, any other like concepts, fast concepts out there. So, um, you know, that's sort of the, the, the beginning is, is there. So it's really about uh, attracting great people and uh, being able, you know, to offer them a career path, uh, being able to offer them uh, a safe place as well as, um, you know, uh, a place where they can learn uh, and grow uh, from, from their, their own colleagues as well as, you know, uh, from, from us and so on. Um, and then, you know, once we have that initial element, uh, I think uh, everything else will sort of like come much more easily. Uh, I think in terms of product, we, we already have a pretty, a pretty good product. But what we did, you know, lately has been simplifying it even more. So we reduced the menu and, and we, we did that with, you know, on one side because we wanted to make it easier for guests, you know, to choose and, and really explain even more our focus on, on healthy comfort food. But then on the other side, you know, the main reason why we did that was because we wanted to make it easy for our team to prepare it. Because as you mentioned right now, there are way more, uh, you know, point of connection with guests, you know, and there's not just the guests coming in, but there's delivery, there's third party, there's first party, there's catering, there's group ordering and so on and so forth. And so the more complex your menu, you know, the more complex it's going to be for the, for the team members to execute it. And, and that's going to create stress and, and not a pleasant experience for them during the workday. Um, same, you know, comes from sourcing, you know, like we, we put a lot of effort in, in sourcing the right products, uh, to ensure that we would eat, you know, those products every day and same for our team so that every time they prepare it, you know, they're, they're proud to taste it and, and, you know, and see that it tastes good and it's good quality and they, you know, uh, they could bring it home and, and vice versa, you know, having good quality, uh, of course, food will, will attract even more guests. And so I think this is basically, you know, what, uh, what I'm seeing right now is priorities. At the same time, you know, we always keep an eye out for new technologies, new opportunities. Uh, I think uh, Avocaderia will keep sort of evolving uh, as, a, as a concept because uh, we, we like to do so. And I think that uh, the words uh, nowadays requires that. I think there's um, what we're going to keep challenging ourselves on the guest side will be uh, convenience. So how, you know, how can we become 
you know, even more convenient for our guests to choose from. You mentioned before the 10 minutes delivery apps for, for groceries. I think, you know, this is a model that might not be completely necessary, but it's definitely a model that's taking over the world because it's so convenient. So, you know, maybe there's more that we can do in that direction to make the experience even better, you know, for, uh, for our guests and, and so on. So I think it's a mix of those, uh, those, those different elements. Interesting that the first thing was about staff and internal things. And, um, you know, strategically, that's a great place to start, especially right now at this moment in time where staff and people and the place where the places where we work have always been important, but now ever more so. I want to thank Alessandro Biggi of Avocadoria for coming on the show. If you need avocado in your life and who doesn't, everybody, that is, everybody does for so many reasons. Um, I feel like I should pass you on to our news, our news show um, meet in three to talk about what you're going to do about avocados now. Have you been getting a lot of calls for interviews? Yes, actually, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but uh, again, it goes back to sourcing. Exactly. Uh, you know, you, you need, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's <laughs> Avocadoria, A-V-O-C-A-D-O-R-I-A dot com. There are three in New York City. I want to thank Abhinav Kapoor of Bikki, B-I-K-K-Y dot com. Um, great story. If you want to take a look at what they're doing. They do have some free resources on the website that can help you maybe understand a little bit better what they do and what you can do with your business. There is a PDF playbook, which are some of the best email strategies, along with an email crash course on retention marketing. Um, really great things. And I do think that we have to pay a little bit of tribute to the starting point of all of this his mother-in-law's restaurant is Ama in New York City on 51st and 2nd Avenue. You can check them out online at ammanyc.com. Yep. Is she still your focus? Is she still your focus group of one? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, well, now, you know, we're fortunate enough now to have work with over 50 brands across, you know, over 300 locations. So uh, the focus group has gotten a lot bigger, thankfully. But yes, she is. She's always, she'll always be my rabbi when it comes to this stuff. So. <laughs> well, I want to thank everyone for spending their time with us today. Hopefully this made some sense to people. And maybe if you have a restaurant and you're not quite sure what data and drip marketing can do for you, maybe this is helpful. If you have a great idea for a show and, or a tech question, something that you are experiencing in the restaurant and food world and don't quite know what that is, drop us a line. You can find us techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. Send us an email. Find us on social media at TechBytesHRN, Twitter, and Instagram. We are very interactive. We would love to hear from you. Come back and see us again next week. I'm Jennifer Leitze, and this is TechBytes. TechBytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.